0: This is T.M. Camp, and you're listening to the podcast edition of my novel, Assam and Darjeeling. Book 1. Exiles. Chapter 12. Annie's Garden. They smelled the fire before they saw it. They made their way to the edge of the town, following the wood smoke and the boys' uneasy feeling. With the last row of houses behind them, they stood and looked out into the darkness. There was a faint flicker of light out there. A campfire? They walked quietly across the dusty, barren earth toward the light. Now that they were out of town and in the open, a chilly breeze whipped at them. The fire looked warm and inviting in that desolate, lonely place. There was something between them and the fire. A dark mass silhouetted against the flickering flames, too small to be trees, too tall for corn. As they drew closer, a sickly sweet smell hung in the air, mixing unpleasantly with the sharp wood smoke. The thin stalks, whatever they were, grew tall with dark, jagged leaves. They crowded close together, uncultivated, without any order or rows. Carefully, the children threaded their way through the plants, the boy leading his sister towards the light. Through the stalks, they could see the outline of a small shack next to the fire. The girl cried out in surprise when one of the dark leaves brushed against her face, tracing a burning line of pain across her cheek. Her brother turned and clapped a hand over her mouth. He squatted down and she could just barely make out the glint of his eyes, the pale smudge of his face. Nettles, he whispered to her. Stay quiet or she'll hear you. She didn't know what nettles were, but her cheek ached as though someone had scraped a rock across it. She pulled his hand off her mouth and whispered, Who? He put his finger to her lips. He had figured most of it out, but there was no time to catch her up. As he drew away, she saw that his hands and arms were sprinkled with small welts. Nettles. They must burn. There was a low sound. A door opened and closed nearby. Footsteps shuffled across the earth. Together they peered through the stalks, watching a dark figure come out of the shack and squat by the fire. Holding his sister's hand, the boy led her carefully through the haphazard maze of weeds. He skirted around the far side of the house, moving as quietly as he could to come out on the opposite side. He'd read enough stories to know that fire was almost always a friend. He wanted to keep it between them and the dark figure. The girl did her best to keep quiet. The nettles stung her cheeks and hands, but she clamped down and forced herself not to cry out again. From time to time, her brother would squeeze her hand tightly and let out a little hiss between his teeth. She realized that he was getting stung too, probably worse than her because he was bigger and in front. As they made their way through the stalks, keeping their distance from the edge of the clearing. The girl watched through the leaves, studying the figure by the fire. It was a woman, her profile like knives, the sharp nose and chin protruding through a mane of long, stringy hair. From time to time, she would haul up an impossibly long, bony arm, pulling back the ragged sleeve and reach forward to stir something simmering in a large kettle hanging over the fire. The shadow, the woman, hissed stirring the pot with a long crooked forefinger, a finger, the girl noted, that tapered to a point impossibly long. The woman sucked thoughtfully at the tip of her fingernail and sat back. Having put the fire between them and the witch, because, of course, that's what she was, a witch, the children stood among the nettles half choking in the sickly sweet smell that drifted down from the tops of the stalks. The sick, greasy odor hung in the air around them like smoke. It was too dark to see what horrible buds bloomed at the tops, but they smelled hideous, and the girl could hear the low sound of flies buzzing among them. I can hear you breathing out there, I can. The witch called out into the darkness. The boy smiled quietly laying his hand on his sister's arm to calm her down. He'd read the stories, enough of them at least to expect this sort of thing. Come to Annie, then. Her voice
1: was like sandpaper. There's plenty of food, plenty for all of us, and I don't mind sharing.
0: Cackling, she settled back on her haunches. The girl could see the glint of her eyes behind the stringy hair. The boy waited a moment. Then he stepped to one side and pushed his sister forward, sending her out into the clearing ahead of him, blinking in the firelight. The witch didn't move, but the boy heard the long, slow breath of satisfaction she let out at the sight of the girl. He felt a pulse of energy from her, raw and hungry. He waited a moment letting it build, before stepping out of the weeds next to his sister. The witch had begun to rise, but settled back down at the sight of him. He spoke up, doing his best to sound helpless and forlorn. Please, ma'am, we're lost and it's so cold. He wavered out the last word to maximum pitiful effect. His sister picked up on the act, adding, and were so hungry. The witch sniffed. She'd been around long enough to be suspicious of such easy prey. She'd never read books as the boy had, but she'd heard the stories of what had happened to her sisters, and it made her careful. But her pot was full, the stew nearly ready, and she was too hungry to wait any longer. She could save room if need be, if there was a more delicate morsel to be had at the end of her meal. And it had been a while since she'd had any live, fresh meat in her bowl. She stirred the stew again. The boy heard a dull rattle within the pot, like stones rolling against the cast-iron sides.
1: Come closer,
0: babies. Closer
1: for Annie. These dull old lights ain't not what they used to be.
0: They look pretty bright to me, the boy replied. The witch chuckled.
1: You're a smooth one, aren't you, boy? Come closer now and sit. Lost, did you say? Traveling, are you? From where to where?
0: The boy held his ground. I don't know, actually. We were looking for our mother and we got lost. Lies, he knew, work best when they're wrapped around a truth.
1: Well, you can't travel on an empty stomach. Come and sit a while. Try Annie's stew. It's almost time to be ready and she gets so few visitors.
0: We're not hungry, the boy said quietly. The woman sighed.
1: Well, it's a lonely life being old and alone. The other Williams hereabouts run away from old Annie.
0: Yeah, I just bet they do. The girl thought to herself. The witch sighed again.
1: A sad, lonely life for Annie,
0: she dabbed at the corner of her eye. The two children moved to sit closer to the fire, still keeping their distance. The witch smiled and nodded at the gesture.
1: Ah, well, that's kind of you. That's right nice now, that is.
0: She stirred the pot.
1: Stew will be ready soon enough, and then, if you're very good and eat all your supper, maybe you'll get a special treat. Like what?
0: the girl asked. Old eyes peered at her.
1: How does homemade black licorice strike you, girlie?
0: The boy looked at his sister. She hated black licorice almost as much as she hated being called girly. But she smiled shyly and nodded at the old witch as though it were her favorite. Lovely
1: girl, the witch said. It's nice for old Annie to have some proper company now and again. Especially such nice, polite, quiet children such as yourselves. Annie gets so tired of the little brats in town.
0: She sighed and reached forward to
1: stir the pot. They nibbled away her sweet house so many long years ago, and it's all Annie can do these days to keep them out of the garden. She peered up at the children. Did you see Annie's garden, babies? Did you smell her sweet flowers? The
0: children hesitated, nodded. It was pretty dark, the girl answered. The witch stared out into the night as though she hadn't been listening.
1: Some days, Annie can barely stand to see and hear them play and scream. It's all they do, morning, noon, and evening. That's a lonely sound for someone old. Children's voices brings back better times when old Annie was young herself.
0: The old woman stared into the fire, tapping one long fingernail against her teeth.
1: Such games we played, my sisters and me.
0: She shook her head and cackled.
1: Don't pay any attention to this old woman's tangle-headed rambles.
0: She turned back to them, eyes bright.
1: What's your names, then,
0: when you're at home? I'm G, and this is my brother, Assam. The witch's eyes narrowed like scissors.
1: Strange pair of names. G, is it?
0: The girl nodded. It's short for Darjeeling. Her brother nearly rolled his eyes, but caught himself.
1: Pretty name.
0: The girl, now called G, smiled and cocked her head. Thank you. She looked up at her brother and squeezed his hand. His palm was slick and his arm was shaking slightly. The old woman stood up. Unfolding her legs and arms like a spider, she was suddenly very tall. She could have stepped over the fire if it wasn't for her ragged skirts. She could have reached around on either side to tickle their ribs with those nails. She looked down at them for a long moment, then she smiled.
1: Well, whatever you're called, you're both welcome to try old Annie's stew. You wait right here while she fetches some bulls.
0: Thank you, G said cheerfully as the old woman went into the ramshackle cottage. After she was gone, the boy said, Are you crazy? under his breath. No. He said her name, exasperated. Call me G, she said sternly. You're gonna get us both killed, he said. Whisper, dummy, and it was your idea to come out here. She had a point. Whatever, just don't eat anything. His sister rolled her eyes. No, really? Why not? she asked. You're not the only one who reads books, stupid. Don't call me stupid, G. Oh, okay, assom. She overemphasized the first syllable perfectly. They stared at one another glaring. The witch came back with a stack of bowls in her hands, heading for the pot. An iron ladle hung from the side and she dipped it into the stew, stirring. The boy swallowed thickly at the dull rattling sound within. It smells delicious, she said brightly. The woman smiled, her teeth glinting like iron in the firelight.
1: Oh, aye, it does a that. But it's not quite ready yet. We need a few more minutes over the fire.
0: She settled back on her haunches and stared over at the boy.
1: Time enough for a
0: little matter.
1: Where did you say you were headed, boy?
0: Assam took a breath. Well, we're on our way to find... Now mind
1: you, don't go lying to old Annie, boy. She interrupted. She may be old and ugly, but she's got a powerful good nose on her, and she can smell out a lie like it was dog shit in Sunday school. She sniffed the air, cackled. Now, where is it you're aimed, and why are you headed there?
0: We're traveling, the boy said, but we honestly don't know where. The witch sniffed and smacked her lips, dissatisfied.
1: "'Call that an honest answer, do you?'
0: She sniffed again.
1: "'Well, honest enough, I suppose, for now. Just barely.'
0: She picked up one of the bowls and filled it from the pot, handing it over to the boy. He took it from her carefully, minding how her long fingernails clattered against the sides of the bowl as they pulled away. He handed the bowl to his sister, accepting the next one for himself.' There was something strange about the bowl. He hefted it in his hands, his fingertips tracing the slightly bumpy, uneven surface. He could feel a strange line running along the underside. Ah! The old woman dipped a long, thin fingernail into her bowl and tasted it.
1: Not too hot now, she said. Not too cold neither.
0: Then... Raising the bowl to her mouth, she wrapped her thin lips around the rim and drank. With her head thrown back, the boy saw the ridge along the bottom of the bowl, the familiar seam of bone. He felt sick.
1: "'Iron teeth and claws,'
0: the witch said, chewing. "'That's
1: good stew.'
0: She dragged her sleeve across her mouth, her eyes glinting in the firelight.
1: "'What's the matter, babies?' Aren't you hungry anymore? Eat up while it's good and hot. Any stew will put the sweet flesh on your bones, it will.
0: She chuckled and slurped more from her bowl. Assam nodded. There was a sour taste in the back of his throat. He forced it back down and looked away, up to the dark sky. No stars, he thought. No moon in Moontown. It's so quiet said softly. The witch cackled again, digging between her teeth with a fingernail the size of an
1: ice pick. Oh, aye, it is a dat,
0: she agreed,
1: quiet like. The days are so hellishly noisy, while with all the little bright things screaming in the town. But once they are gone, the night, the night is quiet and peaceful like.
0: Where do all the children go? The little girl, G., asked. The old witch smiled
1: at her. Where do they go? (laughs) Not to worry. They're safe and sound in Annie's wee pot. She leaned forward and patted the side of the kettle. Safe and sound. The boy looked
0: down into his bowl, into the hollowed-out skull he held in his hands. Pink strings of meat swam in the reddish-brown broth, A long curl of ivory bone lay half submerged. Probably a rib, he thought to himself. The girl set down her bowl and stood up. The witch settled back, suddenly horribly comfortable. She pulled her long ragged sleeves up, exposing arms so thin they looked like bones sheathed in twisted wire. She wiggled her fingers. The children listened to her long nails click. The boy froze, not frightened, but very alert. He didn't trust her when she was at ease, but he could practically hear her dark and nasty thoughts like they were a radio in the next room. He wasn't worried. His books and stories had prepared him for monsters like this. The witch smiled at him. He smiled back.
1: The little ones they go into the pot each night.
0: The words crawled out of the witch's
1: mouth like beetles. And Annie eats her fill, dumping out the leftover flesh and bones to mulch my pretty garden when the feast is done. You saw my flowers, boy.
0: Assam nodded. He'd seen them. They were terrible,
1: twisted things. Good morning, The witch went on, the children rise up from the dirt and yawn, heading back into Moontown to play their little games. Not a bone out of place. She
0: picked at a scrap dangling from the rim of her bowl and flicked it into the fire where it hissed.
1: Day after day they play, and I fill my pot. That's the way of things here. That's the shape of this place.
0: Not for long. The boy thought.
1: Assam, was it? The witch asked. Not a proper name, no, nothing a thing to call so skinny a boy. She shifted herself. Come here, son. Annie wants to feel your finger and see how fat it is. Two things happened then,
0: very quickly. The witch sprang forward wrapping her arms around the boy from behind, laying her long, thin nails across his throat. And at the same moment, G ran around to the other side of the fire. Unlike her brother, she didn't have a way to listen for things, but she was quick, and she could move when she needed to. The witch stared at her through the flames, wiggling her fingers against the boy's neck, tapping one long nail against his cheek. Come back, girlie, she said. The game is
1: over. i Annie. She wants what is hers.
0: The girl shook her head, her eyes on the boy. Assam stared calmly back at her over the rim of the iron pot hanging above the flames. Come to me, girl, the witch said. Let him go first, she answered. The witch tightened her fingers on his throat her eyes fixed on the girl.
1: Come to me. Come to Annie.
0: G put her hand on the pot. It was warm, but not too hot to touch. She bumped it with the flat of her hand, setting it swinging. Let him go, she said again, or I'll spill it all. She shoved the pot once more, harder this time. A little of the stew sloshed over to the side to land sizzling in the flames. The witch drew her thin lips back over her teeth, hissing. Come, girl. She pushed the pot again, spilling more of the foul contents. I'm not joking, she told the witch. The witch snorted,
1: tightening her grasp on the boy. You think I care if you dump out old Annie's dinner, girl? Annie's gone hungry many times before tonight. But not since I came here, no. Now my pot is full every night and I eat my fill. She grinned broadly. Do your worst, girl. I'll have my snack anyways and scatter your bones when I'm done. In the morning the two of you can get up, shake the dirt from your hair and join the others in town. And then we'll do it all again tomorrow night.
0: Through this, G kept her eyes on her brother. His face was very pale, but his eyes were calm. He smiled at her, despite the five thin fingers wrapped under his chin. He made an up down motion with his eyes, looking from the pot to the ground and back again. G looked at the witch. Suit yourself, she said and she shoved the pot with both hands, sending it spilling towards the woman crouched on the other side of the fire. The witch gave a little cry and hopped backwards like a bird, dragging the boy along with those nasty claws. Assam stared with horror at the soupy mixture seeping out of the overturned pot. His legs and feet were soaked with it, all the way up to the knees of his jeans. It felt horrible and warm. The witch, too, had been splashed, and she shrieked down at that dripping hem of her ragged dress. She looked up to the girl standing defiantly across the fire. She tightened her fingers around the boy's throat, lifting him up to shake him at the little girl.
1: I'll kill you for this girl. I'll eat your lights last, so you can watch me suck the fat off your ribs,
0: the witch screamed whipping the boy back and forth to punctuate her rage. See if I don't! But the girl wasn't looking at the witch. No, she was staring down with horror into the wide pool of stew spilling from the mouth of the kettle. She could see the bones, the bones of Moontown, flailing and twisting in the murky mess like fish flopping on the shore. The witch saw what the girl saw, and she shrieked although with rage or fear, G would never know. The bones were coming together, there in the dust, rejoining into fingers and hands and arms. Skulls and jawbones rolled and clacked into place, hollow sockets staring up at the witch accusingly. Hands scuttled across fluttering ribs like spiders, scrabbling towards the hem of the witch's long, ragged dress. The witch stepped back, clutching at her rags, but it was too late. A bare, half-finished arm shot up out of the muck and tore at her, and then another grabbed for her, and then another, bony fingers ripping and clawing to get at her. The witch screamed, throwing the boy to one side and beating at the clattering, bony hands with her own. But it was no use. They took hold of their ankles, her arms, her throat, dragging her forward, shrieking towards the flames. In an instant, she was ablaze, the dry rags she wore going up in a great plume of flame. She spun and flailed wildly, breaking free of the bony hands to stumble madly through the clearing, setting that horrible garden ablaze around her. G watched all this from her brother's side. There were four livid purple stripes across his throat, but he was still breathing. Just barely. He was unconscious and too heavy to move, and so his sister was content to watch the witch flail and shriek and set her world ablaze in agony and torment. The witch ran towards her house, trailing flame and greasy black smoke. Once inside, G could hear her howls as the house went up like kindling. And then, to G's amazement, the house rose up from the ground on two long, bony legs, clawing at the dirt like chicken feet. While the witch howled inside, the house ran, stumbling around in the dark as the flames consumed it from within. And still the witch shrieked, even as it collapsed into a heap, sending up ashes and embers into the sky. At that point, surrounded by fire, She decided it was time to move. She leaned down and called into her brother's ear. "'Wake up!' he stirred and moaned. With a little coaxing, she was able to get him on his shaky feet and lead him swaying through the burning nettles and into the cooler night beyond. When they were a good ways out from the fire, she stopped and looked back. The blaze was enormous, throwing off yellow stripes of flickering light in all directions. She helped her brother lay down and, sitting next to him, she rested her head on his chest and watched the fiery bloom slowly contract and wither back into itself. She was long asleep by the time it had burned itself out. The boy awoke with a burning in the back of his throat. He coughed, his mouth bitter and pasty. He sat up groaning his body a mass of aches from sleeping on the cold-packed earth. He looked over the blackened remains of the witch's house and garden still smoldering in the early morning light, deciding that there were worse ways and worse places to spend the night. His sister lay curled up nearby, her face streaked with soot and there were faint grey ashes in her hair. He wiped a hand across his own face, His skin felt gritty and rough under his fingertips. He looked up. Here and there a blackened stalk still stood. Tiny wisps of smoke rose from the ruined house beams and rafters that jutted out like bones against the pale sky. And below, in the ashes, something moved. A hasty, furtive movement across the blackened earth. Bones, he thought to himself. Again, A scuttling movement among the broken stalks multiplied ten times, then more. He leaned over to wake his sister, but her eyes were already open. She lay on her side with her head resting in the crook of her arm. She shifted her eyes to look up at her brother, then back again to watch the bones. As they watched, the blackened field came alive with skeletons springing up like spindly weeds in a stop-motion nature film. They were coming together again, reassembling among the ashes of the burned-out garden. Here was a set of legs connected by a blackened hip bone, striding through the ashes. Here was a rib cage and shoulder blades dragging itself along with half-finished arms, stopping for a moment to reattach a hand before sifting through the ashes once more. Look. The girl sat up. A skeleton walked past them. As they watched, flesh ran up and down the spindly legs, wrapping around the blackened ribs. Tattered rags fluttered up and twined around the figure, the scorched fabric fading to blue and green once more. The figure stopped a few feet away from them. Hi, James. THE GIRL SAID QUIETLY. THE BOY IN THE FROG PAJAMAS LOOKED OVER AND SMILED SHYLY. THANK YOU, HE WHISPERED. THEN HE TURNED AND RAN BACK INTO TOWN. THE GIRL LOOKED UP AT HER BROTHER. YOU READY? HE ROSE SLOWLY, STRETCHING HIS HEAD FROM SIDE TO SIDE. HIS NECK AND JAW WERE SORE, TENDER TO THE TOUCH. His sister stared at the marks on his neck. Does it hurt? He shook his head. Not as bad as it might have, he winced. They made their way back to Moontown. The children there stopped their games as a Sam and Ji passed through. A hundred voices murmuring thanks. A hundred grateful hands touching theirs. They walked back down to the shore under the pale, greasy light of a sunless sky. The crates were where they had left them. The girl got into hers, and her brother waited out after her, pushing both of the boxes off from the shore before climbing into his own. And with the laughter of Moontown's children fading in their ears, he paddled off and away from the shore. The waters carried them on, gliding along the gentle current out into the center of the river. "'I'm still hungry,' G called back to her brother. "'I know.' Assam kept his eyes on the river. He was watching for a sign of another boat, just in case. He had a feeling that what they were doing was definitely against the rules, and he was pretty sure that how they spent their evening was sure to attract someone's attention. He was right. You've been listening to Assam and Darjeeling, written and performed by TM Camp. A new chapter from the book is available each week, free to download at the iTunes store. To find out more about Assam and Darjeeling, to read my weblog, or to send me your questions and feedback, visit my website at www.tmcamp.com. I hope to hear from you. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon. This podcast was written, performed, and produced by T.M. Camp and may not be copied, distributed, transcribed, or otherwise reproduced without his express written permission. Violators will be spanked like the naughty, naughty little bitches they are, their firm pink buttocks aglow with the shame of their transgression. Unless otherwise noted, all contents of this production are copyright 2007, T.M. Camp. All rights reserved.